You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, good morning. <clears throat> good morning. We are uh, continuing our study of Genesis this morning, and uh, if you're joining us online, just uh, let us know you're joining us, and uh, hopefully you'll get to uh, be with us uh, in person someday soon. Uh, Well, we are, um, as I mentioned, in Genesis last week, uh, we see um, the world is is in a a terrible uh, space, and, um, and needs to be judged, and will be judged. And uh, as we get into this text this morning, I think probably whether you've been to church uh, before or whether this is your first time coming to church, you've probably heard about this story um, about Noah's Ark. And I think about Noah's Ark, how often it's kind of associated with like children's ministry. You know, we, we think about, you know, you know, I remember as a kid reading about it and having all these questions you know, did, did Noah have to go and trap all of the animals? Is that how, you know, did he have some kind of tranquilizer to kind of catch them? And, and how did that work? How did they all fit in the boat, right? How did they fit in the ark? How did, how did they keep them separated? Did it stink in the ark, right? Like all these, these, these questions you might have had as a child. How big was the ark? And then, you know, how did, how did it stay afloat? These, these are the kinds of things that maybe you thought about as a child. Maybe you're thinking about them this morning. It's like, yeah, those are some good questions. Um, and, then, and then as an adult, we can easily be distracted as well, not just about the animals, but about the extent of the flood. It's shocking to me, after studying this text, to how many people um, still believe that maybe this was a localized flood. You know, just a small area uh, of the earth, and, and, and uh, you know, that, that could take us on a quite a lengthy tangent. I guess the thing would be for me is like, um, God destroyed all of creation with this flood. So if it was a localized flood, what did he kill everybody with, right? So uh, it's pretty clear uh, in the text that um, all flesh that moved on the earth were destroyed, and as we say that, we're getting closer to what the text is really about. Sin has its consequences. When we continually walk in defiance against God, there is judgment. Uh, the flood reminds us of this, and it's not just some cute children's story. This is actually, if we really think about the implications of what's happening here, as I mentioned last week, we're talking hundreds of millions, if not billions of people on the earth at this time are being destroyed at one time because of their wickedness, because of their sin. And yet, there is a family who was saved. How is this family saved? Why is this family saved? This is what I want to be thinking about this morning because there is another judgment coming. It will not be with water, but this time it will be with fire. And will you be one who is saved or will you be under the wrath of God? 
It's an important question. It's an eternal question that we need to answer this morning. And so before we get into the text, let me pray for us that the Lord would help us. God, we, we need your help. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance this morning. So many times I'm reminded of what it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our hearts are deceitful above all else. Lord, we can't even trust our own selves. And so, God, we need your help this morning. God, would you examine our hearts? Would you help us to see if there be any sinful way in us, if there be any way that is contrary to you? And, Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, as we consider this time of judgment, the salvation that you brought, God, I pray that we would take heed to the things that we need to learn this morning. God, we would be reminded that we are on the precipice of judgment once again, and that, Lord, we too need salvation. Every single person here in this room, I God, I God, I pray through your grace, through your mercy, Lord, through your favor, Lord, would you save everyone who's here, everyone who is listening to this message, watching this message. God, we pray that you would be merciful and save them. Help them to turn from their wickedness. Help them to turn from their pride and find hope and salvation in you. For those of us who know your salvation, God, I pray that we'd follow Noah's example as we see here this morning. So lead us, guide us, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody needs a Bible. We're going to be reading a fair chunk here, so you want to read along. If you don't have one, go ahead and just put up your hand. The ushers are happy to give you a copy. If you don't own a copy, just keep the one they're giving you. But uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, I've mentioned uh, on and off throughout our study of Genesis, there's this thing called a tally dot, which is if, um, if we're thinking about our modern vernacular, it's like chapter sections. And we're now entering the third chapter section that Moses put together. This is concerning the flood. And this is going to run from chapter 6, verse 9, through the end of chapter 9. As we are going to see the study of today, we're going to be seeing the, the first 150 days of the flood. It's really fascinating. Somebody has kind of made this chart up. But... In the writing of the flood story, there, there is specific wording being used. There's, there, there's showing, they're showing a structure. The first 150 days is decreation. And then next week when we get into chapter 8, we're going to see recreation. Decreation, everything that God had said was good. If you've been with us since the beginning of this study in Genesis, we, you recall that, 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 you know, wasn't there some happy Sundays, you know? We're like, man, the earth was so incredible and it was so good and, and God is good. And then sin came into this world and now we see, as we talked about last week, it is very bad and God is going to destroy the earth that he made. It will return to the chaos of the waters that we seen at the beginning of chapter one. So this week we'll see the first 150 days of the flood. Next week we'll see the following 150 days. Let me begin by reading from verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to, uh, with lower, and finish it, sorry, and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, your son's wives, sorry, with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. Store it, up. You sh it shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and, its mate, and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature." They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord continued, sorry, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. 
The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with them in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So what can we learn about the kind of person God saves? If we are to avoid judgment like Noah, first we need unwavering character. If we are to avoid judgment like Noah, we need unwavering character. Again, just look at verse 9 of chapter 6. We're told these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. It's good that we would be reminded of what the verse before says. Verse 8, that Noah had received the favor of the Lord. Uh, To receive the favor of the Lord is to receive the grace of God. Noah was saved the same way that you and I are saved. He received God's grace. He received his favor, and as a result of that, now he had faith. He was, we're told, a righteous man. All salvation begins with the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Noah was not an exception to this rule, right? God wasn't looking around the earth and he's like, oh, there is one righteous person over here. I guess I'll save him. No, God put his favor on Noah and saved him. And as a result of that, he placed his hope and trust in the Lord. He, he walked in obedience to his ways, as we're going to see. The impact of God's grace in Noah's life is what? That he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. See, he didn't, wasn't through works that he was saved. It was through his faith, as it is for all of us today. Noah's faith makes him righteous before God. So Noah and his family remain of the seed of the woman. The rest of creation is of the seed of the serpent. Again, just think about the odds, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, and eight. You think you have it rough today, right? Anybody think, feel like, man, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like, you know, when it comes to my faith, like, that, that the, it's just really hard. The whole world is coming against me. I mean, we have a whole lot more than eight people in here this morning. All right? So take courage. And I pray as we look at Noah, we'll find encouragement to continue to strive, to be righteous, as it says here. They stand their ground. Noah's righteousness came through his faith in God and his word. It says in Hebrews eleven seven, Hebrews eleven seven. By faith Noah, 
Again, note the faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. How was Abraham made right with God? Through his faith. And so it is for you and I today. If you are to be saved, you are not good enough you, you will never be good enough for God. You must place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his salvation. And then we receive the righteousness of Christ. And so Noah has received God's righteousness. He's a righteous man. He says here that he's blameless. Does this mean that he's perfect? He's not perfect, right? There was only one who was perfect, that is Christ. But to be blameless is to be whole or complete. It signifies wholehearted commitment, wholehearted commitment towards the Lord. Noah had a pattern of his, in his life of choosing to walk in God's way and walking in obedience to him. He loved God and not this world. We see this highlighted in this next term, that he walked with God. The same terminology that was used for Enoch, walking with God, having fellowship with God the Lord of the universe, getting as close as humanity can to the garden when Adam and Eve were with God in the garden. He, he walked in fellowship with him. Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. Noah walked with God, and he saved through the ark. And so it is for you and I, if we would walk with God, we too will not experience death as those who do not know God. So Noah's faith does not waver for 120 years. As I mentioned last week, I think the, when, when God says 120 years and then there'll be no more, I, I think that's the, the time period that, that takes to build the ark. So for 120 years, as the world is coming against him, he stands strong. What was he standing against? We see this in verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. It seems like Moses wants us to know something. What what, what do you think he wants us to know? That the world was corrupt. What does that mean? What does it mean that the world was corrupt? It, it has this idea of being spoiled, disfigured. The, the world that God had created is no more. It is, it is being ruined. The implication here is they lack uprightness and integrity. And three times Moses is saying this to emphasize just how bad it was. And part of this corruption, part of the, what is going on here is violence. The word, the Hebrew word is Hamas, which means the cold-blooded and unscrupulous infringement of the, of the personal rights of others. It's motivated by greed and hate and often makes use of physical violence and brutality. Another possible nuance of this is also false accusation, unjust judgment. Do you know what the earth is full of this? It is full of this kind of violence. 
Interesting that we read the, the initial mandate to mankind was what? To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Well, what they've filled the earth with is violence. Back in verse five, we read that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sometimes people have a problem. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have a problem this morning about this idea that God would destroy the whole earth, that he would wipe out all of creation. They're like, how could God, how could a loving God do that? I mean, think about all the innocent people. Is there any innocent people here? There's not one who is innocent. The picture we hear, we see here is outright wickedness and rebellion against God. When you read the book of Revelation, you see the exact same picture. And God would be not just if he allowed it to keep going. He must judge evil. Moses is making it painfully clear. There is no innocent people here. All flesh have corrupted their way, except Noah and his family. In a world that is corrupt, violent, demonic, in every sense of the word, Noah and his family do not compromise. Matthew says this, Noah is a reproach to the believer who surrenders to the allurement of of a sinful generation. He maintains his fidelity and purity when others have followed the pack. He stands strong on the word of God. He never compromises on what the word of God says. May he be an encouragement to you and I in a culture that is increasingly corrupt, increasingly violent. May we be as Noah and not waver. Through faith it is said that he was righteous and blameless and walked with God. That needs to be the focus, redemption. Like sometimes we, we can get off in the weeds when it comes to everything that's happening in our world. Like we, we, we feel like, well, maybe I, I need to change the political system. No, no, what we need to do is to focus on being righteous and blameless and walking with God, heralding the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we need to do and not watering down the word of God. Not for a moment. Not compromising, well, it'd be just a lot, be a lot easier if we just said this because the world really doesn't like that we say that. You know, so let's just, it's probably not a big deal and, and let's just say women can do this now. Uh, men can now do that. And, and, and what, what, what's the culture saying? Sorry, I'm not... Okay, yeah, we have to just change a few more things here in the word of God. All you're doing is damning people by doing that. You're not helping them in any sort of way. You are helping them to be comfortable in their sin. You're helping them to be comfortable in their ways. And what you're doing is keeping judgment upon them and yourself. What the Lord, what the Lord requires of us and what the world desperately needs are people who are standing on God's word 100% without compromise. Not changing a word here or changing a word there, adding a little bit here and taking away a little bit there. No, standing firmly on the word of God. May we be 
men and women such as that. This is the kind of people that God saves, those with unwavering character. Second, we see that we need unrelenting commitment. We need unrelenting commitment. We see this in verses 13 to 22. We now see God telling Noah what his intentions are. He begins by telling him about the destruction of the world and why he must do it. Verse 13, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God is not just taking out humanity. He's going to take out the animals. He's going to destroy the entire earth we see here. He's not looking for a second opinion. Hey, Noah, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? He's just simply warning Noah, this is what's about to take place. Sarna says here, the idea is that humankind cannot undermine the moral basis of society without endangering the very existence of its civilization. Through its corruption, society sets in motion the process of inevitable self-destruction. I mean, this is the case. If God tarries, and we've seen this in, our, in, in, in history past, right? A culture that's given over to sin more and more and more so, what happens to that society? It crumbles. It gets destroyed. Like, how does, how does Rome ever not continue to rule the world? I mean, how, how does that happen? It's because of their sin, because of their destruction. If God tarries, what will happen to the United States and Canada on their current trajectory? Are we going to continue to enjoy prosperity in the way that we have enjoyed it the last 100 years? No, it will not happen. When you sin, it destroys. Just think about it. Sin in a relationship with one another, what happens when there's sin against one another, when there is no forgiveness? Destroys the relationship. Destroys the family. As the families get destroyed, what happens? It destroys society. That's what's happening. In our unrepentant sin, our society is beginning to be torn down. The church needs to stand in the midst of this on God's truth, on his righteousness. So God warns him that there is this destruction coming, but, but, great news for Noah, he will be saved. So he's got to go buy some gopher wood. Anybody been down to the lumber yard lately? Get some gopher wood? Must have come from Saskatchewan. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows where gopher wood is. I mean, there's guesses. Maybe it's Cypress. We don't know. But he's, he's to get this wood. He's to, to build this, this, this ark. And, and literally, it's like a rectangle box. It's about a, a football field and a half long, right? It, it's, um, let me just make sure I get my dimensions right, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. It, it is an, an incredible, stable vessel. Doesn't matter how bad the storm will get, it will not toss and tumble. It's interesting, there's, there's stories of other religions and stuff like that about, about what, what happened in the flood. The one, the one religion said it was a cube. Can you imagine that thing? It would just be like, like this in the water the entire time, right? But, but this is built to last. He, he's to cover it with pitch. 
I thought, as Albertans, you would appreciate what pitch is. They, they think it's like crude oil, right? They would have been covered with crude oil so that, so that, or asphalt, so that it would not, of course, water would not get in. There's to be three different decks. There's to be a, a, a space just below the roof, about 18 inches high, so that there be ventilation and light allowed to get in there. I mean, it's a perfect vessel. And we won't spend time thinking like, was there enough room for all the animals? There was enough room. If you wanna, if you wanna study that, you can, you can go for it, right? But I'm just gonna tell you, there was more than enough room for all the animals that needed to be on there. I think God's big enough for that, right? He wasn't like, oh man, okay, who's getting cut? I, I didn't foresee the, how many animals there were, right? He knows. And so, Again, verse 17 repeats the destruction that is coming is going to be complete. God is over every single detail of this. Verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven, sorry, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Total, complete destruction. Then he says to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. We can only imagine the relief and hope that these words brought to Noah, right? He's been told the whole world will be destroyed, but Noah, this is how you will be saved. I will make a covenant with you. This covenant, it's not a two-way covenant. There is no requirements for Noah. He's just saying, I'm going to save you. The only stipulation, the only requirements are on God himself. He will save Noah. He who had received favor from the Lord, he and his family will be saved from the destruction to come. God is also going to save the animal kingdom. Noah is commanded to bring two of every sort of animal, birds, and creeping things into the ark so they will be kept alive. And then he's also told, hey, you're going to need some food, you and the animals, so make sure you gather enough food and store it up for all the occupants on the ark. Like, that's a little bit of a change of plans, hey? Like, I don't know what Noah was doing before this, but everything got turned upside down the day he found out about this, right? Can you imagine the task to get food enough for everybody to, to, to build this alone? I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some guys who needed work. He was able to hire them out. We, we're not told, right? But he was in charge. This was his total focus. What did Noah do in receiving these instructions? It says in verse 22, then again in 7.5, then again in 7.9, then again in 7.16, he what? He did all that God commanded him. He did all that God commanded him. This is what a faithful person does. Three times, sorry, four times, we are told that he did all that the Lord commanded him. <clears throat> Noah did not add to the word of the Lord. <clears throat> he wasn't like, wait a minute. You know what I think would be really helpful is if we put a sail on this thing. Let's do that. 
He doesn't add to the word of the Lord. He doesn't take away from the word of the Lord. He does exactly what God commanded him. This is what faithful people do. This is what faith looks like. It not only hears the word of the Lord and understands the word of the Lord, but true faith acts upon his words. True faith walks in obedience to all that God commands. It begins with a belief that God is good and that his word is good and that he is faithful to do all that he says he will do. Noah exemplifies this in his unrelenting commitment. Consider how all of this, as I've already said, would turn, have turned his life upside down. Like this is not something that you kind of half ways, you know, kind of dabble in ark building, right? He, he is all in on his salvation in regards to his belief, his faith, his commitment to, to this. I mean, just, just think about what I believe to be the right timetable here. 120 years. So take your average lifespan and then add another half a life. That's how long he's waiting for the fulfillment of what God said. So if you're kind of like, oh man, so hard, my life. I mean, you're, Noah's already went before you. He did 120 years, okay? So if he did it through faith, you can do it for whatever God has given you on this life. Noah waited on the promise of God, and he put his faith to it by building the ark. Can you imagine the temptations to doubt? You think there'd be any temptations as the entire world is ridiculing you, making fun of you? I mean, again, we could get off in the weeds on this stuff, but there is likely had never been rain, and he's, he's building this thing on dry ground. He looks like a fool. And I'm sure the world was happy to tell him he was a fool. But he just keeps working day in and day out. He endured. He persevered in his faith. He put his full trust in the word of the Lord. Consider the expense of this. Like like it would have cost him financially a lot to do this. Whatever job he had been doing, he would have had to stop in order to focus his time on this. There would have been a great sacrifice to him and his family. Not only would there have been mockery and ridicule, but there would have been hatred of the world against Noah. It says in over and over and over again, if, you, if they hate God, guess what? They hate his followers. And so I'm sure they hated him. In fact, there's this idea in 2 Peter 2 where it seems like they probably threatened his life. In a world full of violence, right, they probably threatened him. Who do you think you are, Noah? You think you're better than us? Your your message that we're all going to die? Yeah, right. Who are you? And on and on, the hatred and ridicule would have gone against him. But Noah continued to trust in the word of the Lord. Then he had his family. I find that fascinating. Like they're along, we, we don't, we don't, we're not really told anything about them. They're just along for the ride, right? We're not told about their faith. We're not, we're not told, but, but likely Noah probably needed to shepherd them along the way. Hey, hey, don't be discouraged. 
Don't grow weary. I know, I know. It seems like it's taking forever to build this thing. Right? Let's just keep going. We have to keep going. We got to trust the Lord. He is good. He's faithful. He's warned us that judgment is coming. We have to trust in him. So he would have had to shepherd his family. Well, as we consider the kind of person that God saves, Noah is a great example for us today. As we read what is going on here, we are reminded that we need to be all in when it comes to our faith. I mean, the text we read last week says that as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the judgment the second time around. People are marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking. World is going on as normal, normal, wicked, super wicked, but going on as normal, and boom, the judgment comes. Like, I think in our back of our minds, that day of judgment's always out there. It's, it's some, yes, 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 he's coming, he's coming soon. Like, oh, for sure, we believe that, we would read that, but... It's still out there. And we, and we kind of half ways our faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to someday, like when, I, when it's like 11.59 and midnight's coming, I'm going to be all in. I'm gonna, that's when I'm going to be all in. But for now, I got I to gotta build my kingdom. I got to do my thing right now. And Noah is, 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 is teaching us we can't be like that. We, we need to be all in in on our faith. We need to be fully obedient, not taking away some of God's word. And, you know, I don't really like that. It kind of doesn't really mesh with me. And I found this other church group who believes what I believe, so I'm just going to go with that. Not, not, Not adding to the words of the Lord, but walking in obedience day in and day out. I love how it's Moses who's writing this. Do you know the only other time ark is mentioned is in regards to Moses' little basket that he was put in? It was called an ark. And he's, he, when he was a baby, when, when his life was being threatened, he's put in this little ark and he, he goes down on the water and he is saved. He too counted the cost, it tells us. Hebrews eleven twenty five. He he could have just been like, well, hopefully God's gonna do something for those Jews over there. I know I'm one of them, but I'm in Pharaoh's house. I got power. I got riches. I got everything. But it tells us in faith he turned his back on that and he counted the cost to follow the Lord. And so, as he's writing this about Noah, I wonder how much he thought about. Yeah, kind of, kind of like I had to count the cost. Kind of like you and I have to count the costs. This morning, do the words unrelenting commitment describe where you're at when it comes to the faith? Are you all in for Christ? Or do you resist, sorry, and do you resist compromise with the world? Do you consider your finances God's and not yours? Are you willing to be hated by those opposed to God? Do you day in and day out walk in faith and obedience to the word of God, trusting that his ways are true and right and good? Are you shepherding those in your family and in the body of Christ and encouraging them to keep their eyes on the promises of God, knowing that judgment is coming? Do you exhort one another in the body of Christ? 
and, and encourage one another to keep abiding in the word of God. Keep trusting in the word of the Lord. Judgment is coming. This is what God requires of us. This is what God needs from us. Unrelenting commitment as we await the judgment to come. And then lastly, we need unflinching conviction. We need unflinching conviction. This is chapter seven. And when I was reading the, the initial time through the scriptures, it might have seemed like, um, did you just not read this? It seems like you just read that. But what do we see? There's things repeated over and over and over again. We get into chapter seven, and it's like, okay, God said to Noah, this is what you need to do. You and all the animals need to get on the boat. Verses six through 10, guess what? So that's what they did. He and all the animals, they got onto the boat. He did all that he commanded, verse five. He did all that he commanded, verse nine. There's this repetition that's going on. We're told that it was gonna happen in seven days. Seven days, can you imagine? Now it's the final countdown. We're not told why it was seven days. Maybe, maybe the, the Lord is saying something about the initial creation that it took seven days to build. We don't know. Now it's going to be seven days before decreation. Some theorize, well, it was seven days of mourning. Maybe Methuselah, this is when he died. And now, now like, there's seven days because there's this implication that when he would die, then the end would come. We don't know. Lots of theories out there. But all we know for sure is that he has seven days to get him his family, and all the animals on the ark. Now, the text isn't, isn't super clear, but I believe what happens here with all the animals, in the same way that God brought all the animals to Adam in order for him to name them, I believe God has brought all the animals to Noah to get onto the ark. I, think they, I don't think he went out with tranquilizer guns and set up pens, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's what was going on. I think God, because he's powerful, because he is sovereign over every single thing, he's brought the animals there. We, we got two by two of the unclean animals. We got seven pairs of the clean animals. Well, this is a bit of a turn here. What, what's with the, I thought there was only two by two. What's with the, anybody ever think, like even when, when we read that, we're like, wait a minute, what's the seven pairs thing? Okay, well, the seven pairs is because there's going to be sacrifices need to be made. And if you get rid of, you only got male and female, and you get rid of daddy, I mean, there's no more of that species. It's over, right? So you need more than the, two, the, the pair, right? And so there's seven for those animals that will be sacrificed. Again, we've talked about this. We're not told exactly, but there is some understanding of a sacrificial system. We've seen it in Genesis 4 that... that Cain is doing one kind, Abel is doing a different kind of sacrifice. Uh, there, there is underlying understanding that there are sacri- there's a sacrificial system going on here. This is what Noah would have known. And in seven days, the flood is coming, and what will happen? There's going to be rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and then what? Every living thing that he has made would be blotted out from the face of the ground. Again, the, the wording cannot be more clear. Every living thing of the whole world will be destroyed. 
And, and God's not asking you to try to, like, well, no, like, <laughs> maybe not everybody. Like, God's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to read what his word says and to proclaim it appropriately. Everyone was destroyed, except for Noah and his family. Verse 11 tells us the exact timing of this historical event. This thing did happen. It's interesting, other religions do have a flood story. Not that that makes it any more credible, but God's word is true. And so why are we told that it was in the 600th year on this, day, on this month, in this date? Because it actually happened. This isn't just some kind of, you know, fable. So we should learn from this fable. No, this is what actually happened at the exact time that it happened. We're told in verse 11 that the waters don't just come from the sky. That there's, this, there's these waters that are on the earth that burst forth as well. So we have water coming down from the heavens and water coming up. I mean, it's just it's total destruction. And the earth is returning to its pre-creation state when the waters were over the earth. On that very day that... On the very day that Noah and his family and all the wildlife, two of every kind with the breath of life in them, entered the ark, in addition to the clean animals, the rains began. The waters burst forth from the great deep. It was God, then what, who shuts the door. I think there's, there's something so important in that. He is the one who determines who gets saved. No one else is able to get onto the ark. They've had 120 years of being told what's going to happen, but nobody gets on. And now as the flood is coming, he closes the door. He is the one who decides who receives life and who does not receive life. Those, it's interesting as you see this, this term, breath of life. He is the one who gives life to every single creature. And those who have the breath of life on the ark are saved, and those who have the breath of life who are not on the ark are killed, every single one of them. Verses 17 to 24, we see that um, the account of the flood, the, the decreation that's taking place, the floods, waters continue, they rise to the point where all the high mountains on the earth under the whole heaven were covered. Um, it, in, in today's vernacular, at least 20 feet of water over every high mountain, over, over that particular 20-mile stretch. Is that what it says? Over all the earth. I mean, <laughs> it's pretty clear. Besides that, I mean, isn't it, what, like, what, what? We're going to, like, put, like, how does water work? Right? Like, it, it flows. So in order to have a localized flood, God would have had, like, throw up some, like, shields all around it for the water not to continue to pour forth, right? Anyway. Pet peeve. I'll just get back to this. Okay. <laughs> Over all the earth. And, and look at the wording here. I, I like well, the way Hugh says this. The language here in verses uh, 17 to 24, the language is evocative of a violent, churning, whirling maelstrom. The repetitions in these brief verses of waters increased rose and greatly, they're, they're said over and over again, betray a wild water, water everywhere. 
the early description in verse 11, on that day all the mountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened, describe a great rending of the beds of the seas and torrential rain and makes us recall chapter one when the waters above and below the firmament were separated. Now in a massive act of decreation, they were unleashed back into chaos. That's what we're seeing here. And so what happens as a result of these waters? Verse 22, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with them in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This idea of prevailing on the earth, there, there is no going away. It's, they're, they're fully to the full height for 150 days. Total devastation. I mean, just imagine the globe full of water in one boat, one ark is left. The earth has now become a graveyard. God had graciously warned all of his creation that judgment was coming. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He proclaimed over and over again the warning of what was to come and not one single person repented. They believed they could continue to live however they wanted, do whatever they wanted, Maybe there was some who thought, well, maybe, maybe someday I'll listen to what this guy says. When, when the rains start, maybe then, maybe then I'll do the right thing. In the meantime, they mocked the idea of needing saving. They could believe they continued to do whatever they wanted, that there were no consequences for their sin. They mocked Noah until the floodwaters came. And perhaps one of the last things they thought of was that Noah was right. It doesn't mean they repented. Likely the reaction was anger against God, just as we see in Revelation when Jesus will return. Forever lost and damned to eternal wrath, they refused to admit that they were, sin- they were sinners and sinned against a holy God. Noah knew judgment was coming. One can only imagine how scary those events were as the floods came. But he was unflinching in his conviction that God would save him and his family, no matter how bad the circumstances were. Noah knew that God had the power both to judge and the power to save. God was the one who would shut the door. He was in charge who would be saved and who would not be saved. It was his to determine. I want us to turn to one last text as we close this morning. Turn to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter 3, as we reflect on these events, scriptures are so important to us today. Our world, once again, is hurriedly chasing towards judgment. And I wonder, do we have unflinching conviction that God will save us as judgment is coming? Do you believe that God is able to save you from the wrath to come? 
2 Peter 3, I begin in verse 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 3. Peter says this, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is this Jesus? You guys have been saying for over 2,000 years now that Jesus is returning. Where is it? Scoffers will come saying such things. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Then he says this, verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will, be, will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You and I are in the exact same shoes as Noah. Judgment is coming. God has told us it's coming. It's coming soon. Noah believed God. He believed that he could be saved if he trusted in the word of the Lord. He trusted that, that God would save him through the ark, and now this morning I wonder, do you know that you would be saved from the wrath to come? When the earth is burned with fire, when Christ returns, will you be saved? How can you be saved? Well, it's not through an ark. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, every sin must be punished. I've entitled this sermon, Salvation Through Judgment. Judgment has to happen. The question this morning is, will you allow Jesus to take the wrath that is due you, or will you take the wrath for yourself? Noah chose to trust in the Lord. And this morning, I'm praying that every single one of you here have said, I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that as he hung on the cross, that, that my wrath that was due me for all of my sin was placed on him and that he took my punishment that I was due. And instead, he's given me his righteousness. And so I believe that as he returns, I will praise and worship him in his return and I will be spared the wrath that is coming upon this earth because I am in him. I'm safe in the arms of Christ. This is the only way you can be assured that you will be saved. 
There is no other way. Some will say, well, I don't, I don't care. I, I, I don't believe you. I think that you're a bunch of religious freaks and I don't want to have anything more to do with you. And you go on your way. But wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. And just as all of these people were destroyed, so will you be if you do not trust in him. Ross says this, the story of the flood should make people aware of the wrath of God. Such a judgment for sin shows that God's gracious provision of redemption is meaningful and that his grace is not to be taken lightly. The ultimate cause of the flood is stressed clearly from the outset, the monstrous acts of sin that controlled life. When Christ returns, a world that is full of wickedness and evil will be replaced by a world that is without sin. This is what we see at the, in verse 13 there. A place of goodness, a place of peace, a, piece of, a place of joy, and there will be a new creation and a new earth, and we will be in his presence forever. This morning, is this your unflinching conviction and hope? I pray that it is. Let me pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we're reminded of just how destructive sin is. And Lord, how you, if you are to be who you say you are, how you must judge sin. Lord, your creation is groaning even today. It is longing to be new. It is longing to be recreated. But Lord, first the judgment will come. Lord, I thank you that you know every heart here this morning. Lord, you know that if we've been, if we've been distracted with so many things that really don't matter, God, I pray that you would help us to be refocused this morning on the things that really do matter. That, Lord, we would have our eyes fixed upon you that we would be knowing that judgment is coming soon, Lord, that you are returning soon, and that, Lord, we would be living lives of righteousness, Lord, of holiness, Lord, that we would be blameless, and that, Lord, we would walk with you each and every day. Lord, this is our hope, this is our joy as your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be heralds of righteousness. God, I thank you for the hope and the promise that there are still people to be saved. There, there, we know this to be true because you've not yet returned. It says here in 2 Peter that, Lord, when the last person is saved, you're coming. And Lord, you're, the only reason that judgment has come, hasn't come yet is because you're slow to anger. You're patient. And so, God, I pray that even today, even this morning, if there's someone here who has not yet put their trust in you, God, would you just convict them of sin? Would you help them to lay aside their pride and finally be broken before you in trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? God, we know that you can do that. Lord, we ask that you would. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, help us to never take our salvation for granted. Lord, we're reminded of just how serious sin is this morning when we see the devastation and destruction. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for salvation. Lord, we love you. Be glorified through us, we pray, until you return. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.